91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Sixty-five years ago, the Montgomery bus boycott was in full swing. It was the women of Montgomery who organized the boycott. This ended segregation on buses. To learn more about the Montgomery bus boycott, here's an installment of the KBCS and Project Pilgrimage collaboration looking at civil rights past and present. Project Pilgrimage is a Seattle-based community building and educational immersion program focused on stories from the civil rights movement. In this segment, Dr. Terry Ann Scott, professor of American and African American history and civil rights activist Bob Zellner, speak with pilgrimage participants at the bus stop where Rosa Parks boarded the bus that led to her arrest after refusing to give up her seat to a white passenger. This is where Rosa Parks stood to get on the bus in December of 1955. She was working right here in this second building. The buildings are different now, but Montgomery Fair Department Store is a seamstress. It's always interesting to me how in the kind of characterization of her, people say that she was this old woman. She was 42. She was tired of the system, but she was not tired. A little bit before Mrs. Parks uh, refused to give up her seat. She had been at a workshop in uh, Highlander Folk School. In the South, there were many movement centers, and one of them was Highlander Folk School in Monte Eagle, Tennessee. It's now in Newmarket, Tennessee, still operating. Rosa Parks said in one of the workshops, I wish that we would be able to have a mass movement in the Deep South. She said, the people in Montgomery will never do anything. They're just stuck in their ways. So when she took that stand by sitting down, she didn't have a hope that there was going to spark a huge movement coming out of that. So she stood here, she boarded the bus. We know essentially how the story goes. She's told to give up her seat, and she said she felt that she didn't have to. She had been to the Highlander and previous to that, and she said she thought about Emmett Till and said, I'm not getting up, and then she was arrested. We've had a number of really wonderful sharings about the centrality of women to the Montgomery bus boycott, both as the organizers and architects of the boycott, as well as those who refused to ride the bus and engaged in what would be an economic boycott. They thought it would be a one-day boycott. It's exceptionally successful. It lasts 381 days. And it would end with the ruling Browder versus Gale, which was a lawsuit that involved actually four other women who had done the same as Rosa Parks previous to that. The NAACP believed in um, basically legal strategy and they were looking for a good test case. So they thought that what they meant by test case was that someone would be arrested and it would quietly go to the Supreme Court and years later they would say, hey, you can't have segregation in your buses anymore. It turned into, because of the community, a huge community mobilization from top to bottom. It involved everybody from the taxi driver to the garbage collectors to the professors to the lawyers. And so they would engage in a very massive rideshare program. So much so that one way to undermine it was that the insurance company started to drop the insurance of those individuals who were involved in it. And so Dr. King enlisted one of his friends, who was an African-American owner of an insurance company, and picked up the insurance. He called his friend in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a Reverend Jemison, and he asked him about how he instituted the rideshare. You know why? Because in 1953, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 
Louisiana had had a bus boycott as well. And so he called him so that he could take what uh, Reverend Jemison learned from that moment and apply it here. They did not entirely desegregate the buses in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They created what those engaged in it wanted to call a more humane system. When the um, boycott was about to start here, they asked the bus company, they said, we're not asking to integrate the bus. They said, black seating can go in the back, white seating can go in the front, but never ask anybody to give up their seat. So that was a, a very minimal request. And the bus company wouldn't do it, and Alabama wouldn't do it, and that's what happens a lot of the times. You ask for a little bit, they won't do it. You have a huge movement, and then you get the whole thing. Also, Montgomery, by uh, being a boycott, they were withdrawing their participation in the bus. Now, the strange thing about the um, capitalists is they couldn't do the basic math and say that many of the white people had cars and so forth, so they didn't use the bus very much. Who used the bus the most? The black community. Who got treated the worst by the bus company? The black community. Does that make good capitalist sense? No, it doesn't. And the economics would certainly play a role in other cities because that really demonstrates the power of the dollar and the economic boycott. In Nashville, they would lose millions of dollars during um, the sit-ins when they would make sure that African Americans did not frequent the downtown shops. The irony of it is that as much money as they lost and as much as it hurt their business, it still required that ruling to desegregate. They refused to desegregate because they said if we give in to this, we'll have to give in essentially to everything. That story was produced by KBCS's Ruthie Bly. For a companion video, you can go to kbcs.fm. For more on Project Pilgrimage, go to projectpilgrimage.org. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.